Verily, the praise belongs to Allah. We praise Him, seek His assistance and forgiveness, and we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds. Whoever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead him astray, and whoever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide him. I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone, and that He has no partners or associates, and I bear witness that Muhammad wasallam is a slave servant and his messenger. I'd like to continue this evening with the explanation, the shah of Lumat al-Aytiqad, al-Hadi ila Sabil al-Rashad, by Al-Imam Abu Muhammad, Abdullah ibn Ahmed ibn Muhammad ibn Qudama rahimahullah, and the explanation of Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih al-Uthaymeen, Hafizahullah, may Allah protect and preserve him. In this lecture number 22, uh, we'd like to take two points, points number 92 and point number 93, both of them dealing with the issue of al-bid'ah or innovations, the people of innovation and some of the groups of innovation. But before going to those points, like I would like to quickly review that which we covered in the previous lecture, point number one, uh, point number 90 and 91, the saying of Al-Imam Ibn Qudama, rahimahullah, wa min sunnah al-sam'u wa ta'a li a'imat al-muslimin wa umara al-mu'mineen barrihim wa fajirihim ma lam ya'muru bima'fiyat Allah fa'innahu la ta'a la ta'ata لِأَحَدٍ فِي مَعَثِيَةِ اللَّهِ That also it is from the sunnah, as-sama' as-sama'u wa ta'atu it is from the sunnah, hearing and obeying hearing and obeying uh, to the imams of the Muslims and uh, those in authority from amongst the believers the a'imat al-muslimin wa umrah al-mu'mineen whether they are righteous or unrighteous with the condition yani obedience to them is subject to the condition that we obey them as long as they don't command anyone with disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For verily there is no obedience to anyone if it involves disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the second point, Al-Imam al-Qudam mentions point number 91, وَمَنْ وَلِيَ الْخَلِيفَةَ الْخِلَافَةَ وَاجْتَمَعَ عَلَيْهِ النَّاسِ وَرَضُوا بِهِ أَوْ غَلَبَهُمْ بِسَيْفِهِ حَتَّى صَارَ الْخَلِيفَةَ وَسُمِّيَ أَمِيرُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَجَبَتْ طَاعَتُهُ وَحُرِمَتْ مُخَالَفَتُهُ وَالْخُرُوجَ عَلَيْهِ وَشَقَّ عَصَاءَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ That whoever has been appointed or given authority or the position of Khilafah or the Khalifa has been made the Khalifa or the ruler, authority over the Muslims, and the people united together in the selection of this person as the Khalifa and they are pleased with him 
And whoever gave it to authority by selection of the people, and the people are united with that selection and are pleased with him, as well as in the case whoever became the Khalifa by overcoming the people by force, by the use of the sword. In any case, if that person was selected by the people or that person took the authority by force, once he is recognized as the Amir al-Mu'mineen or the ruling authority or the leader of the believers, in that case it is wajib, obligatory to obey him. And in either case, whether he came by selection of the people or by force, once he became the ruler of the Muslims, the Amir al-Mu'mineen, the Khalifa, then it is obligatory to obey him. Likewise, it is forbidden to oppose him and rebel against him and therefore ruin or destroy or break the unity of the Muslims. And if the, if the people uh, oppose or rebel against the ruler, it will cause division in the Muslim society and this will destroy the unity of the Muslims. Uh, Sheikh Muhammad yani, mentions in his Sharh that the position of Khilafah is a very important and great responsibility. The one who is given the authority to look over the affairs of the Muslims. Uh, and it is Farq Kifaya, yani, that at least someone should have authority, should take the responsibility for the affairs of the Muslims. And that authority or responsibility may take place in one of three ways. either. That person may be appointed by name by the previous Khalifa, as happened in the Khilaf of Umar al-Khattab radiallahu anhu, he was appointed by Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiallahu anhu, or the people, the influential people and the people of authority and power in the society, they may come together and select the Khalifa. These people are known as Ahl al-Hal wal-Aqt, the people of influence and authority or power in the society. And those people may either be appointed as a committee or a group by the previous Khalifa, or they may not have been appointed. But after the death of the Khalifa, they gather together the people of influence and authority. And in either case, they may select the Khalifa. And the third way that the Khalifa may come into office is by force. Uh, and the second way, by the way, the Sheikh mentioned that the second way, it was the way in which uh, Uthman ibn Affan was selected as the Khalifa by those people who were appointed by Umar al-Khattab before his death, radiallahu anhum ajma'in. And Ali ibn Abi Talib, he was also selected by the people, Ahl al-Hal wal-Aqt, but they were not appointed, they were not selected by the previous Khalifa, but they were the people of authority and influence in the society. Uh, and so after the killing of Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu anhu, those people came together and selected Ali radiallahu anhu. And uh, the third way that we said, the Sheikh mentioned the uh, taking of the authority by force, it was what took place in the Khilafah of Abdul Malik ibn Marwan uh, after the killing of Abdullah ibn Zubair radiallahu anhu. May Allah be pleased with him and his father. Uh, then the Shaykh talked about the ruling concerning obe- obeying the Khalifa, obeying the one of the authority from amongst the Muslims, and he said that it is obligatory, it is wajib to obey the ruler as long as he doesn't order the people to disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is based on the saying of Allah in Surah Al-Nisa, chapter 4, verse 59, All who believe, obey Allah and obey the messenger and those in authority from amongst you. And he mentioned also a number of hadith which show the importance of obeying those in authority from amongst you, whether you like 
what they all you do or whether you dislike it, as long as it's not in disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, it is obligatory to obey them. Um, also, uh, he mentions some other hadith which show that uh, once someone is placed in authority, it is forbidden to disobey them and to contest or to fight against those who have given, been given the authority except if those people display open kufr and if that there is a clear proof from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and clear evidence in the Quran and in the Sunnah showing that that person has and went out of Islam and become a kafir so obedience to those authority is in that which we are pleased with and that which we are displeased with as long as they don't order us to disobey Allah and as long as they don't go outside of Islam and then he mentioned the last point is that uh, related to one of the hadith that he mentioned that we should not fight against the rulers uh, even if we see some evil or corruption in them as long as they continue to uh, perform the prayers as long as they continue to perform the prayers and the shaykh said from this we understand that if they discontinue performing the prayers then we are allowed to fight against them and we are not allowed to fight against the ruler unless he is outside of Islam so this is a proof that abandonment of prayers is kufr, it is disbelief the next point Imam Ibn Qudama mentions point number 92 وَمِنَ السُنَّةِ هِجْرَانِ it is also from the Sunnah, from the way of the Prophet ﷺ, from the Deen of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. It is part of the Tariqah or the way that has been exemplified by the Messenger of Allah ﷺ. It is part of Islam. It is an essential and important part of Islam. And again, as we repeat over and over again, uh, that as Sunnah has many meanings and the meaning here we don't mean from the sunnah that it's one of the voluntary acts that's just commendable to do but we mean it is from the basis of the deen itself from the example of the prophet ﷺ, it is an essential part of islam the abandonment or the boycotting of the people of innovations it is part of the deen of islam also and is separating and distinguishing ourselves from them and also avoiding and abandoning argumentation and disputation and arguing and disputing should be avoided arguing and disputing about the matters of deen about the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we should avoid disputing about them and this is, of course, it is clearly in reference to the people of Bid'ah, the people of innovation, that we shouldn't waste our time arguing and disputing with them over their innovations. But not only that, but even amongst ourselves, even amongst the people of Sunnah, we shouldn't be arguing and disputing with one another. Discussion or discussing issues that we may have different understanding about by bringing evidence and proofs is permissible. And argumentation or disputation is of two types, as the Shaykh mentioned in the commentary. But the important thing, the basic rule, is that argumentation and jidal and disputation, al-khusumat, in matters of deen, it is to be avoided. وَالْتَرْقْ النَّظَرْ فِي كُتُبْ الْمُبْتَدِعَةِ وَالْإِصْغَاءِ 
ila kalamihim. And also from the sunnah is avoiding looking at the books of the people of Bid'ah. I mean looking into their books, reading their books, or listening to their speech. I mean listening to what they say, going to their gatherings, or listening to their lectures or their speeches. Reading their books or listening to their speech also should be avoided. And every newly invented matter in the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is innovation. And we know that every innovation leads astray according to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa and every going astray or misguidance leads to the hellfire. Here, Sheikh Muhammad ibn Salih al-Uthaymeen, in his explanation of these points, he says that al-Hijran, uh, or this point number 92, that al-Hijran, it is uh, derived from the word hajra, and linguistically it means to avoid or to leave something, at-tarq, to avoid, to abandon, or to leave something. And the intended meaning here of hijran, uh, of the Ahl bidah hijran Ahl bidah it means al-ibti'ad anhum. Number one, it means to be far away from them, to stay away from them, to avoid them at all costs. Wa-tarq mahabbatuhum. And also, tarq mahabbatihim, yani avoiding the love of them. We shouldn't love them. وَمُوَالَتِهِمْ Nor have allegiance or affection for them. وَالسَّلَامُ عَلَيْهِمْ Or giving them greetings of As-salamu alaykum. وَزِيَارَتِهِمْ Or visiting them. وَعِيَادَتِهِمْ Or visiting them when they are sick. وَنَحْوَ ذَلِكَ And such things. And you can see that hijran here is a very comprehensive concept. Abandoning, boycotting, Avoiding the people of Bid'ah, it includes not only just staying away from them, but also we shouldn't have love or allegiance for them, give them salams, visit them, or see them when they are sick. Uh, the Shaykh says, Hijran, Ahl Bid'ah, boycotting the people of innovation is wajib, obligatory, mandatory. And this is based on the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al Mujadila, chapter 58, verse 22. لا تجد قومي يؤمنون بالله واليوم الآخر يوادون من حاد الله ورسوله that you will never find or you will not find the people who believe in Allah in the last day loving or having love for those who oppose Allah and His Messenger and you will not find those who believe in Allah who really have Iman in Allah and His Messenger loving or having love for those who oppose Allah and His Messenger. Yani it's a, it's a, it is a clear contradiction that the one who believes in Allah and the Messenger of Allah, that they would love the person who opposes Allah and His Messenger. It doesn't make sense. It's a contradiction. If those people fight against and oppose Allah and His Messenger and you love Allah and His Messenger, then how can you love them? So the true believers, they don't love those who oppose, who fight against. Allah and His Messenger. Uh, and also a proof concerning the hijran of the Ahl Bidah, it is that the action of the Prophet against Ka'ab ibn Malik 
and his two companions when they remain behind from Tabuk, from the battle of Tabuk, they remain behind even though they were from amongst the believers and they were sincere believers but for whatever reason they fail to go out to march forth with the Muslims at a critical time when the Prophet was in need of the help of every able Muslim and they remained behind and because of that the Prophet ordered the believers to boycott them not to visit them, not to speak to them, not even to return salams to them and it was a trying time as mentioned in a very very lengthy hadith the hadith of Ka'ab ibn Malik radiallahu anhu describing the whole situation from the beginning to end what happened and why it happened and how he and those two of his companions who were sincere believers not like the others who were hypocrites who remained behind intentionally but they admitted their wrong and they repented to Allah and Allah accepted their repentance in any case this incident that took place in the life of the Prophet it is a clear indication and a proof for boycotting those who disobey Allah and His Messenger. Uh, here the Shaykh says, and this is a very important note, that even though the general rule in Islam is to avoid and to boycott the people of sin and disobedience and particularly the topic that we are talking about here is Ahl Bid'ah the people of innovation but he said there are circumstances when we shouldn't boycott them if sitting with those people was for a maslaha, a benefit a clear benefit to make clear to them the truth for example or to warn them against their innovation then there is no harm in doing so. In fact, perhaps in some cases, it is not only is it allowed to do, but you are expected to do it. And this is also with conditions. The point that he is making here is that there is an exception to this general rule. If a person sits with them or visits them or talks to them for a maslaha, and if for a beneficial thing in the deen for the sake of Allah, to clarify to them the truth that they are ignorant of, or to warn them against the innovation that they have fallen into, then in that case there is no harm in doing so. And this is based on the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, That we are ordered by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to invite the way of your Lord with wisdom and with beautiful or good preaching or teaching or arguments, Dani or any not arguments but words of advice and admonishment and argue with them in ways that are best in the best possible ways this is mentioned in Surah Al-Nahl chapter 16 verse 125 this is the proof that uh, in certain cases it is obligatory on us to go to those people and to talk to them for the sake of calling them to the right way by using wisdom and beautiful teachings and the arguments showing them the benefit of following the right way and the harms of following the wrong way uh, the shaykh says that this might be by sitting with them by speaking to them it also might be by correspondence with them or writing to them there are various ways that it may take place 
يعني this exception to the general rule and he said also from amongst and we should keep in mind that this exception is number one for the person whose intention is to guide those people to the correct way whose intention is to correct them to warn them, to advise them it has to be with this intention number two it should be for those people who are capable of actually explaining to them and showing them the wrong or the error that they are in not for every person but the one who is capable of showing them and who has the intention of correcting them otherwise it's, it's not for every Muslim to say let me go and try to correct them and perhaps you don't have the knowledge or the understanding that is sufficient in order to correct them or to show them their error but it should be with this intention and it should be for those who are capable and able to convince them who have sufficient knowledge and understanding of the deen and also the one who has a good knowledge of the correct aqidah so that they will not fall victim to those people it should be a person who has good correct knowledge of aqidah and also more than that the information that's necessary in order to convince those people to show them their error okay then the shaykh says also part of abandonment or boycotting the people of Bidah is not looking at their books not reading or studying their books, their literature, their publications for fear of the fitna or the trial or the temptation that it might cause and also because it might be a means to encourage other people to listen to them or to read their books it may be a means of spreading their uh, falsehood amongst the people and for this reason some of the scholars when they wrote against some of the innovate, innovation or the people of innovation or some of the sayings of the innovators sometimes they talked about their beliefs and their sayings without mentioning the titles of their books sometimes they didn't mention the titles of their books especially in this time that we're living in now because for fear that if they mention the titles of those books people may have an interest to read it to see for themselves and they may read it and not be capable to protect themselves from falling into the confusion that the people of innovation have put in their books so sometimes also by looking to their books or attending to them or giving attention to them it may be a cause to spread their books amongst the people more than it would have been if we just left it alone and avoided it then the sheikh says that avoiding the circumstances or situations that lead to deviation or lead people astray avoiding those situations or circumstances or places it is obligatory, it is wajib to avoid it it's not allowed for a Muslim to go into a situation or to allow themselves to be in a circumstance or in a place that would be a trial for them that could cause them to become confused or to be led astray it is obligatory to avoid it and this is based on the saying of the Prophet concerning al-Dajjal the Prophet described in a number of authentic hadith al-Dajjal, Masih al-Dajjal and the fitna that he would cause in deceiving the people and confusing the people and many of the people would believe his claims due to his abilities and powers that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed him to have as a test and a trial but because we have been warned against him and the Prophet Muhammad said all of the previous prophets warned against him every one of them warned their people against him and he also warned us but in the clearest language with the clearest descriptions of that 
Masih Dajjal, what he would be like, what he would say, and what he would do. So once we know that he is a fitna, a trial and a test, then it is obligatory on us to avoid coming in contact with him, and likewise, it's obligatory on us to avoid coming in contact with the places or circumstances of innovation or those things that lead astray. Here, he mentions the hadith in which the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa is reported to have said concerning the Dajjal, مَنْ سَمِعَ بِهِ فَلْيَنَا عَنْهُ Whoever heard about him, and you heard about the Dajjal that he is in a certain place, then you should avoid him. They should stay away from him. Stay away from him. Don't go out of curiosity. Let me see, as some people do. They heard about some innovation or some bid'ah people. Let me go and see for myself. No, don't go. It is obligatory on us, on us to avoid him. فَوَاللَّهِ إِنَّ الرَّجُلِ لَيَأْتِهِ وَهُوَ يَحْسَبُ أَنَّهُ مُؤْمِنِ فَيَتَّبِعُهُ مِمَّا يَبْعَثُ بِهِ مِنَ الشُّبُهَاتِ He said, I swear by Allah that verily a man or a person, they would go to him, go to Al-Dajjal when they heard about him, thinking themselves to be a strong believer. No problem, I'm a strong believer, I know about him, I can go and I can see for myself. Then he said, فَيَتَّبِعُهُ فَيَتَّبِعُهُ مِمَّا يَبْعَثُ بِهِ مِنَ الشُّبَهَاتِ He will end up following the Dajjal due to the power and the strength of the Shubahat, the doubts and confusion that the Dajjal would be able to send forth. يعني, the things that he would do, it would cause confusion and doubt in the mind of the people and they would actually be caused to believe in him and to follow him. This hadith is reported in the Sunnah of Abu Dawood and the Shaykh al-Albani rahimahullah said the isnad of this hadith is sahih. It is also reported in the Musnad of Imam Ahmed and the Musadraq of Al-Hakim on the authority of Imran ibn Hussein radiallahu anhum. So from this hadith we know avoiding places of astray and misguidance and innovation it is obligatory to avoid. We shouldn't go to such places or be in such circumstances. However, the Shaykh says, however, in spite of the fact that it's obligatory to avoid those places, if the person's intention, if their objective in looking at the books of the people of innovation, yani reading their books, if their intention or their objective was to know about that bid'ah in order to refute them, Yani if a scholar or the people of knowledge read their books in order to know exactly what they are saying so that they may be refuted, then there's no harm in doing so for the one who has correct aqidah enough to protect him as a fortress to protect him from falling victim to the innovation and also the one who is capable and able to refute them. Yani perhaps a person may have correct aqidah and they may be able to distinguish right from wrong and they said okay no harm I can read their books but it's not sufficient not only that but still you shouldn't read it unless you also have the ability to refute them because if you don't have the ability to refute them there's really no benefit in subjecting yourself to the test or the trial or the possibility of being affected by their falsehood and their shubuhat the confusions and doubts that they cause so the only one who is allowed to do so is the person who has correct aqidah to protect themselves from falling victim and also has enough knowledge that they may be able to refute them.
And in that case, it's allowed to read their books in order to know what they're saying, what they're claiming, so that the people may be warned against them and that they may be refuted and perhaps some of them may return to the correct way. Here the Sheikh says that the one who, who contains such characteristics, that person, not only is it permissible or there's no harm in reading their books with the intention of refuting them, but in fact, he said, in some cases it may be wajib. It may be wajib in some cases that some of the people of the people of knowledge should open those books and read them in order to refute them, in order to refute their bidah. He said in some cases they may be obligatory. And then he mentions a qaida, which is very important, principle or foundation in usul, وَمَا لَمْ يَتِمُّ الْوَاجِبُ إِلَّا بِهِ فَهُوَ وَاجِبُ وَمَا لَا يَتِمُّ الْوَاجِبُ إِلَّا بِهِ فَهُوَ وَاجِبُ يعني this means that if there is something which is obligatory and it cannot be fulfilled except by means of something else, then that other thing which is the means to fulfill something which is obligatory, the means to it is also obligatory. Yani if we are required, for example, to uh, go to the masjid to perform the obligatory prayers, it is obligatory in the men to go to the masjid and perform the obligatory prayers. There are some things that you need that you cannot go to the masjid without them. For example, you cannot go to the masjid without clothing. So it is obligatory on you to clothe yourself with sufficient clothing in order for you to be allowed to go out of your house and go to the masjid. So putting on clothing when going to the masjid to pray is obligatory. It's obligatory because you cannot pray without clothing. And prayer is obligatory, therefore putting on clothing also is obligatory. So anything that is the means in order to fulfill a wajib, that thing also is wajib. Therefore the Shaykh says, refuting the bid'ah of the Ahl bid'ah, it is obligatory. And the means to do it is to know what they are saying. You have to read their books in order to refute them. Therefore it's obligatory on some of the people to read their books in order to fulfill the obligation of refuting them. The second point that the Shaykh mentions here, or, or the second uh, topic that he mentions on the point number 92 uh, is that which is mentioned in the text concerning al-jidal wal-khisam arguing and disputing fiddin al-jidal he said it means it's from the word jadala wal-jadala it means that someone will argue with another person in order to overcome them. To argue with someone for the purpose of overcoming them. And then he says, in the books of language, al-jadal, it means al-khusuna. Al-khusuna means disputation. So here he says that these two words, al-jidal and al-khusuna, their meaning is basically the same. Arguing and disputing basically hold the same meaning. Al-Khisam and Al-Jidal, arguing and disputing or disputing and arguing in matters of deen is of two types. There are two types of arguing and disputing and the ruling concerning them is different. The first type of argumentation or disputation is the one who argues or disputes with the objective of confirming the truth and 
proving uh, the falsehood or yani, uh, destroying the falsehood, confirming the truth and eliminating falsehood. Whoever argues or disputes with this objective to confirm the truth and to destroy the falsehood, uh, then this is something that we are commanded to do. It is either wajib or it is mustahab, one or the other. And depending on the exact circumstances, depending on the conditions or circumstances of that innovation and the circumstances of the people of innovation and the one who is going to refuse them, it may either be obligatory, wajib, or commendable, mustahab. And this is based on the saying which was already mentioned, the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Nahl, chapter 16, verse 125, وَجَادِلْهُمْ بِالَّتِيهِ أَحْسَنِ And invite the way of your Lord with wisdom and beautiful teachings وَجَادِلْهُمْ This is a fil'amr command وَجَادِلْهُمْ Argue with them It is a command Argue with them بِالَّتِيهِ أَحْسَنِ And with that which is best that you may argue with uh, So it is a command In some circumstances it is either obligatory or mustahab The second type of disputation argumentation is the one who argues out of stubborn rejection, yani stubbornness. The one who argues because, yani not because they just don't want to accept the truth. Or the one who wants to yani support their own views or who wants to defend falsehood. The one who argues and disputes for this reason, out of stubbornness, they see that they are wrong, but they don't want to admit it. So they argue and dispute to defend themselves or to defend falsehood. He said, this is something that is ugly and it is prohibited. And this is based on the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Ghafir, chapter 40, verse 4. مَا يُجَادِلُوا فِي آيَاتِ اللَّهِ إِلَّا الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا That only the disbelievers, they are the ones who argue or dispute concerning the ayat of Allah. So that here, in this verse, it's clear that disputation is something detestable. It is a characteristic of the disbelievers. But of course here, it is understood from the text or from the context that it means arguing and disputing concerning the ayat of Allah, meaning arguing and speaking against the truth, rejecting the truth out of stubbornness or due to one's desire to defend falsehood. And also the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the same chapter, the following verse number 5, وَجَادَلُوا بِالْبَاطِلِ بِهِ And they argued by means of falsehood. They used falsehood to argue in order to refute with that falsehood the truth. And they wanted to reject the truth. So they argued using falsehood in order to reject the truth. فَأَخَذْتُهُمْ فَكَيْفَ كَانَ عِقَابٍ So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, So I seized them, I took hold of them, and look how terrible is the punishment. Or how terrible was the punishment. So here again, in this ayat, it makes it clear that those who argue in dispute in order to defend falsehood and to fight or reject the truth, then this is blameworthy. It is ugly, and it is a characteristic of the kuffar, the disbelievers. There are some other points concerning the issue of arguing and disputing. It's a big topic really and it requires a full lecture, but 
there's no time to do it this time. Perhaps on another occasion we may discuss this in more detail. The next point uh, that Imam Ibn Qudawah mentions, point number 93, وَكُلُّ مُتَسَمِّنْ بِغَيْرِ الْإِسْلَامِ وَالسُنَّةِ مُبْتَلِعًا And here it's written in the text of the book, وَكُلُّ مُتَسَمِّنْ But Allah Alam, it seems as though the correct reading is وَكُلُّ مُتَسَمِّنْ that everyone who names themselves with other than names that point to Islam or Sunnah, any other than Muslim or Ahlul Sunnah or something like this, whoever uses other names for themselves, who use other titles or labels for themselves other than Islam and the Sunnah, identifying themselves with other than Islam and the Sunnah, then all of those people are innovators. Every one of them is an innovator. And then he gives examples, and then Al-Qudama Rahimahullah says, كالرافضة like the رافضة الجهمية الخوارج القدرية المرجعة المعتزلة القرانية القلابية ونذيرهم All of these groups he mentioned are groups that were well known in that time and some of them or their ideas are still existing today such as the Rafida, they are widespread all over the Muslim world today even the Jahmiya, some of their ideas are remaining the Khawarij are plentiful especially those people who are known as the Jamaat of Jihad uh, in Egypt and some other place in Algeria the Khawarij or the ideas of the Khawarij are present amongst them even though they don't refer to themselves by this name. The Qadariya is also present, the Murjia is also present and the ideas of some of these groups are still present though as a group by this name those groups are no longer existent calling themselves by these names. So these groups and others which are similar to them he says فَهَذِهِ فِرَقَ الضَّلَاغِ These are the groups or the sects of misguidance وطوائف البدع and the parties of innovation أعاذنا الله منها may Allah protect us and preserve us from these groups we seek refuge in Allah from them here the Shaykh says in the explanation of this point the signs of the Ahl Bid'ah and the mention of some of their groups the signs of the Ahl Bid'ah he mentions three three of the most outstanding signs that identify the people of Bid'ah their special distinguishing characteristics. Number one, that they describe themselves with other than the name Islam and Sunnah. And they don't say we are the Ahl Sunnah, we are the Muslimun, but they describe themselves by other names. Like these names uh, of the past and new names of today. New names of today. They call themselves by so many names which are well known to many of us. Uh, whoever identifies themselves with these names after they know that the name that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us is the Muslimun and the name that, that is clearly identified with Islam, the people of Sunnah, all of the scholars of the past refer to themselves by such names, then people come with other names to identify themselves. This is from innovation. So this is one of the first signs of the people of Bidah that they describe themselves with names other than Islam and the Sunnah based on the innovations which they have innovated, whether innovated speech or innovated actions or innovations in aqidah. And innovations are not only in actions of worship, but there is also innovations in speech, and the worst of innovations is the innovations in aqidah, such as these groups, the Rafida and the Jahmiya and Murjia and Mu'atazila and Ash'ariya, which he didn't mention here, which is the most widespread uh, of all of the 
deviants, and also they are the closest to the Ahl Sunnah. Uh, the second sign of the Ahl Bidah is that they are mutaakhir to their opinions. Yani they are fanatical and unreasonable about their opinions, their positions. They stick to them. Yani without, we cannot reason with them. This is the second sign of the people of Bidah. They refuse to turn back to the truth even if it became clear to them. They are fanatics and following falsehood. And even when they realize through proof that they are wrong, they won't admit it and they stay on falsehood. And we see them every day. When you bring them clear text from Quran and from the Sunnah and you ask them, where did you get this innovation from? They will argue and fight with you. Even when it became clear, there is no basis for it. It didn't happen before. Even just a few years ago, not even talking about 1,400 years ago, they cannot even go back a hundred years and find people, any people of the Sunnah, practicing these innovations that we see around us today. From these famous groups who consider themselves to be the people of Sunnah. But in fact, if we look at their beliefs and their sayings uh, and their practices, we will see that they are far from the Sunnah. Look at their speeches, how they speak, and look at how the Prophet ﷺ used to speak and see if there is any resemblance. It is far from it. If you tell them the Prophet ﷺ used to say, إِنَّ الْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ نَحْمَدُهُ وَنَسْتَعِينُهُ وَنَسْتَغْرُ They reject it. But they have their own saying, uh, whatever they say. I didn't memorize their speeches, but you can go to the masjid and hear it every day. You will never hear them say what the Prophet ﷺ says. If you tell them the Sunnah is authentic hadith like this, and they are doing something different, they will say our Mashayikh, our teachers, our shuyukh, they taught us like this. Even though you are saying the Messenger of Allah they were not accepted. They are mutaakhir, fanatical and unreasonable about their opinions. And the third important sign of the Ahl Bidah is that they hate the Imams of Islam and this deen. They hate and they detest the leaders of the people of Sunnah. And that was in the past and it is today. You will find that of the past, they used to hate Shaykh Rafiq ibn Taymiyyah and today they hate Shaykh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab or Shaykh Abdul Aziz ibn Baz and Shaykh Muhammad ibn Masri al-Albani. You will find that they will try to attack them and say anything evil against them and try to belittle them in any way that they can and this is a great sign. When you hear people speaking about the Imams of the people of Sunnah with evil, they know for sure this is a clear indication that they are the people of Bidah. So the three signs the Shaykh mentioned are very clear signs that they describe themselves other than Islam and the Sunnah and that they are fanatical and unreasonable about their opinions and refuse to turn back to the truth even when it becomes clear to them and that they hate and detest the leaders, the Imams of Islam and the Deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So then he mentioned a number of groups. Uh, perhaps quickly we can just look at them. Uh, this is the end of what he talks about. Number one he mentioned the Rafida and they, they are those who went to the extreme in their ideas or the beliefs concerning the Ahl Bayt, yani the family of the Prophet and Ali and Fatima. Uh, and they also declare the kufr of all besides them from among Sahaba. Yani besides the few of the Sahaba, maybe five of them and the Ahl Bayt, they declare all of the rest of the companions of the Prophet that they went out of Islam. Or if they don't declare them to be Catholic, then at least they say they are fusat, fasat, evil, rebellious, corrupt people. The Rafidah are many groups, many, many groups. The worst of them are those who claim that Ali عنه, is a God, that he is divine. And there are others who are less than them in their evil. 
they first appeared, or their bid'ah innovation first appeared during the Khilafah of Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu anhu, according to some of the scholars, at the time when Abdullah ibn Sabah, the Jew from Yemen, said to Ali, Anta al-Ilah, you are the divine being, the God. So Ali ordered that they be burned to death, and their leader Abdullah ibn Sabah escaped to al-Mada'in. And then he mentioned some of the points related to their their madhab or their position concerning the sifat of Allah that some of them, that they differ, they are not all in agreement some of them mushabbiha, they make comparison between the characters of Allah and the characters of the creatures and some of them are mu'akkila, yani those who empty the characters of Allah of any meaning, denying their meanings and some of them are mu'akkadil, yani in between, not going to that extreme or the other and he says that they are called the rafida, yani rafida means rafida means to refuse or to reject because they rejected Zayd ibn Ali ibn al-Husayn ibn Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu anhu at the time when they asked him about Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu anhuma and he, Zayd, yani asked for Allah's mercy and blessings upon them they, did, they wanted to know what is your position of Abu Bakr and Umar and when he had a favorable position for them they rejected him and they avoided him so they became known as the Rafida for this reason and also they named themselves Shia because they claim that they are the party who is concerned about defending the Ahl Bayt uh, and that they support them and defend them and demand their rights of being the true Imams or leaders of the Muslim Ummah The next book is the Jahmiyyah and I think some of these notes probably we have in handouts that we gave up before most of the notes are there but uh, just briefly the Jahmiyyah uh, their name comes from Al-Jahm ibn Safwan, the one who was killed by Salaf or Salaf ibn Ahwaz in the year 121. And he was killed. He was killed because of his false beliefs. Uh, their madhab in the Sifat of the characters of Allah, Ta'atil, they empty them of their meaning and negate them. And their madhab in Al-Qadr, follow al Qadr divine decree, it is the saying of Jabr, Yani. Concerning the divine decree, they say that human beings are compelled to do what they do. And concerning the issue of al-iman, they have the opinion of of irja, yani the murja. That is, that iman is simply conviction in the heart. It doesn't include sayings and actions. Yani sayings and actions are a matter of part of iman. This is the murja. So the jahmiyyah or murja in reference to the issue of iman. And concerning the one who commits major sins, they said. Uh, in terms of the Sifat, denying the Sifat and Jabariya, in terms of Qadr al Qadr, and yeah, he's saying that the people are forced. Sifat, denying the Sifat and Jabariya, in terms of Qadr al Qadr, and he's saying that the people are forced to do what they do, and Murjia, in terms of Iman, saying that actions and speech are not a part of Iman, and they are also divided into many subgroups. The next group is the Khawarij. And there are those who went out to fight against Ali ibn Abi Talib due to the fact that he tried to make reconciliation or set the ruling between the two opposing parties of the Muslims. And their madhab is that they declare themselves to be free of any connection to Uthman and Ali radiallahu anhumah and also they believe in the permissibility of rebelling against the Imam of the Muslim uh, if he goes against the Sunnah in their opinion and what they consider to be the Sunnah. And they also, the Khawarij, make takfir. They declare the kufr of the one, the Muslim, who commits major sins. And they said he will be in the hellfire forever. And also the Khawarij have many subgroups. Then there is the Qadariyah. And they are those who say, uh, 
whose opinion they deny the qadr, meaning uh, they say that the action of the human being are their own actions, and that Allah doesn't have uh, power over the actions of the human being, that the human being has their own will and their own ability that is independent of the will and the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They first appeared, or this opinion first appeared from a person called Ma'bad al-Jahani uh, in the end of the time of Sahaba, and he got those ideas from a man from amongst the Magians, the Majusi, in Bakra, and they are also two main groups, those who are extremists and those who are not extremists. The extremists are those who deny that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't even have knowledge, nor does his power or his will have any authority over the actions of the creatures. This is those are the extremists, but Allah doesn't even know what the creatures are going to do, nor does he have any power over them. Uh, and these, he says, are extinct, are non-existent, they are almost non-existent, and those who are less than the extremists are those who believe that Allah knows about the actions of the human being, but they deny that the human being's actions are subject to the will of Allah, or the power of Allah, or the creation of Allah. The next group is the Murjia, and they are those who say that the actions of the human being are separate from Iman, they are not a part of Iman, uh, and that uh, Iman is simply a conviction or admission or affirmation in the heart. So to them the fact that the corrupt criminal person is Mu'min Kamil Iman is a believer who is perfect Iman. No matter what it, whatever he did of sins or whatever he avoided of obligatory actions or acts of obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, also he mentioned the Ma'atabila the Ma'atabila they are the followers of Wasil ibn Atta who separated from the Majlis or, or the sitting circle the study circle of Al-Hassan al-Basari uh, and he held the belief and confirmed the idea that the Fasif the one who commits sins who is evil and corrupt he is in a position between two and in a station between two stations Manzila Bain Manzilatain he is neither a believer nor a disbeliever and that, that such a person who commits major sins uh, according to the Ma'atazila they said he would be eternally in the hellfire unless the Khawarij who said that he is a disbeliever outright they said he is neither a believer nor a disbeliever but they agreed with the Khawarij that the person who commits major sins and doesn't repent from it in this life that they will be in the hellfire forever and, they, and he was followed with this idea by another man named Amr ibn Ubaid uh, and their madhab in the Sifat al-Sa'afir, the negation of their meanings like the Jahmiyyah. Concerning the divine decree of Qadr al-Qadr, they are Qadariyah, yani that the human beings have complete free will. And they say that the Qadr of Allah and the Qadr of Allah doesn't have any relationship to the actions of the human being. Concerning the one who commits major sins, uh, they said that he is eternally to be in the hellfire and he is outside of Iman, and yani outside of Iman meaning he is not a believer nor a disbeliever in a station between two stations. And they are the opposite of the Jahmiyyah in these last two issues, and yani concerning the one who commits major sins and the divine decree. Then he mentions the Qarraniyyah, they are the followers of Muhammad ibn Qarram, who died in the year 255. And they are inclined towards the idea of tashbih. In Sifat, the characteristics of Allah, they make comparison between Allah's characteristics of qualities and those of the human being. 
and also they hold the opinion of al-irja and iman and the opinion of the murji'a that iman is simply conviction in the heart without consideration of speech or action and this haramiya they are also divided into many subgroups then he mentions the salima they are the followers of a man who is known as Ibn Salim and he also held the belief of al-tashbih making comparison between the characteristics of Allah and the characteristics of the human being and then the Shaykh says finally that all of these groups which the author Al-Imam Ibn Qudayl rahimahullah has mentioned uh, he said after mentioning them and the other groups like them and here Shaykh Muhammad Ibn Salih Uthaymin mentioned that of the groups that are like them is the Ash'ariya the Ash'ariya who are the followers of Abu Hassan or who claim to be the followers of Abu Hassan Ali bin Ismail al-Ash'ari rahimahullah who was in the beginning of the time of his time uh, part of the people of the Ma'atazila until he reached the age of 40 at that time he announced his repentance from the belief of the Ma'atazila and he began to explain and clarify the falsehood of the madhab of the Ma'atazila and then he stuck to and adhered to the madhab of Ahlul Sunnah Rahimahullah finally the Shaykh says as for those who claim or identify themselves to him, who claim to be following him, then they remain on that madhab that he was on in between the time he left the Mu'atidila and came to the Ahlul Sunnah, and that madhab is known as the madhab of the Ashariya or the Ashaira. In that madhab, the main thing he mentions here is that they do not confirm the sifat of Allah. They don't confirm Allah's characteristics and qualities except seven of them because they claim that these seven can be proven by the intellect, by rationale and they interpret the rest of them as they like and these seven which they say can be confirmed by the intellect are mentioned in a line of poetry حَيٌّ عَلِيمٌ قَدِيرٌ وَكَلَامٌ لَهُ إِرَادَةٌ وَكَذَلِكَ السَّمْعُ وَالْبَصَرُ يعني that Allah has these qualities of living knowledge, ability, speech, will, hearing, and seeing. They also have many other innovations uh, concerning the speech of Allah Al-Kalam and concerning the divine decree of Qadr and other such matters. And this is the end of what the Shaykh says here. Uh, but there is one point here that I noticed, I don't understand exactly why the Shaykh uh, didn't give any uh, mention of the group that Al-Imam Ibn Qudama mentioned um, in the text of the book he mentioned another group that's not here in the explanation and uh, I don't know I tried to bring something concerning them uh, to just mention briefly that is the Khullabiyyah I remember the Qadama mentioned them amongst the groups of deviation but uh, the Shaykh in his explanation didn't mention the Khullabiyyah for whatever reason Allah knows best uh, in any case uh, I just took some brief notes concerning Kullabiyah and here is mentioned that their name is taken from the person who they ascribe to it is Abu Muhammad Abdullah ibn Sa'id ibn Kullab al-Qattan al-Tamimi al-Basari oh. and he is one of the people of Kalam, the Ahl Kalam al-Takallam he is the leader of the Ta'ifa known as Kullabiyah and he is one of those who was considered, considered to be of the people of Sunnah and there was many disputes or arguments 
or debate between him and the Mu'tazila. He used to argue against the Mu'tazila in behalf of the Sunnah, and that was in the time of Al-Ma'mum, the Khalifa Ma'mum, and he died in the year 240 after the Hijrah. Uh, and it is said that he is called Ibn Qullab due to the intensity with which he used to debate at the time when he used to have debates with the people of Bidah and who were worse than him uh, and this name is taken from the word Al-Kullab which is the spur or the metal spur that's on that is worn by the horse trainer that they used to uh, make the horse to move and in these metal round things that are on their shoes they stick into the side of the horse this is called Kullab or Mihmad and he was known from this name due to the intensity or the severity with which he used to argue at the time when he used to have debate. And, it's, and it, it is not from the fact that his grandfather was named Kullab, but actually it's due to this characteristic that he was described by in his debate uh, with those with the Mu'tazila. And also it's mentioned here that Al-Ashari, yani Abu Hassan Al-Ashari, follows the minhaj of uh, Al-Kullab in many of his sayings in philosophy and he used them, Al-Ashari used them in his debates also against the Mu'tazila he used the arguments of uh, Kullab and um, uh, and he was able to overcome the uh, Mu'tazila due to the help of many of the arguments uh, from the Kullabiyya and also adding to it the arguments that he knew from the Sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam then it says that Ibn Kullab, that he was better than the Ashariya in many of the issues, such as the issue of Iman and the issue of Sifat, the characteristics of Allah, just as he was better than them, or he was the best of them in the issues concerning the names of Allah, Al-Asma Al-Ahkam, rulings of judgment, um, and Qadr al Qadr, divine decree, and so also some of his companions of students, the students of Ibn Kullab, such as Al-Harak, and Al-Muhasabi, Bab al-Abbas, Al-Khallanati, that they were also better than the Ashairah or the Ashariyas in many of the issues. In any case, the important point here is that better than the Ashariyah or better than the Mu'tazila or better than any other group of deviants, it means that those who are closer to the Sunnah are better than them. And it's relative. Relative. Just as we say the Ashariyah, they are the closest to the people of Sunnah in general. Uh, still, they are not from the Ahl Sunnah, but they are better than the others relatively speaking, due to the fact that on many issues they are closer to the Sunnah than the others. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika ashadu an la ilaha ila anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk. If there are any comments or corrections or questions, perhaps there's a few moments remaining. And we have still one more lesson remaining, insha'Allah. Uh, we still have one lecture remaining, two points remaining we will cover, insha'Allah, in the next lecture, and we will start review. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين